Hey guys, Nathan of the future here. Um, before you listen to this episode, I think it's probably worth addressing the the elephant in the room as far as the audio goes. <laughs> Essentially, I recorded this with Peter on Zoom, and then when I went back to um, to see the recording, to hear the recording, it kind of was messing up, and it was basically just not letting me access it very easily. So I basically had to record the playback from that episode rather than the file itself, but that's fine. Don't let that detract from the conversation. Um, you can still hear what's going on, and I think it's a really special conversation, I think, for me personally, um, to be able to do this, um, given everything it's taken to get to this point. It's really special to me, and I hope that for you, whether you resonate with any of this or not, this conversation, I really hope that it's useful. Pass it on to a friend. Hopefully it's helpful for yourself as well. Um, and I don't think there's much more to say, so without further ado, the interview. between 
and got slow extended soul and that that is a journey and I can attest a difficult one at that. But ultimately when we're talking, um I think same sex attraction questions have particularly found themselves sort of rock in a hard place culturally because there's the sexual revolution that says like love who you love, all of you know, love is love and that's all that there has to be said. There's also the rise of the individual as God of our lives. So there's there's a prevailing sense of culture and on the other side of that people say, Well what I what I feel and what I believe is the only thing that should matter. Mm. And then there's subsequent, shall we say, pushback and criticism, um, to put it mildly, <laughs> um, from people who are, I guess, d- defending traditional Christian family values and certainly mm-hmm. a place for that, I don't think in the way that's often being seen, but still there. Um, but from what I've seen of your work online, you've done a really admirable job of reconciling the sense of sexual orientation and the word of God, and not not kind of going, well, this is where we are, so I must choose. There, there is, like with everything, more than, more than one thing can be true at the same time. I think you've really shown that in the way that your work comes out. And you've, I think crucially, past just kind of acknowledging what it is, you've done a lot of work to ask what it could be. Just for the work you do for your counselling, which you share on Instagram, the, um, the monastery work as well. Like, there's a lot for me when I see your work of seeking healing and progress and compassion and love and truth. Um, I'm talking a lot of thought for all people, including those who experience same sex attraction. But let's let's break this down contextually before we get into some of the other questions. I obviously use same sex attracted quite often in that intro. And some people use gays, and I, you know, depends on who I'm around, and we'll get into that, but I use probably both terms, but do you think there's a difference between the two terms, and kind of, you know, what term would you use when describing your own experience? Yeah, so, um, you know, uh, the English language, whether spoken in uh, uh, <laughs> the UK, or uh, the US, or elsewhere, you know, it's not like the French language, there's not some academy and group of people who decides definitively what correct English is and what words mean or ought to mean. Um, and so what that means is we have many different different definitions for different words. So yeah, these words gay and, and, and same-sex attraction have a variety of meanings. You know, to some people, they hear the phrase same-sex attraction, and it only means what it seems to communicate, which is a person who experiences romantic or sexual attractions to people of the same sex. Other people hear the frame same-sex attraction, um, and they associate it with the Pray the Gay Away movement and the ex-gay movement. And they, when they hear someone use the phrase same-sex attraction, they think, oh, this person thinks that you can pray the gay away. This person thinks that if I uh, went to enough counseling, I could become straight. This person thinks that I'm uh, gross, disgusting, and in error because I'm still gay. Yep. Um, but there's also equally problematic kind of understandings of the word gay. Um, you know, yeah. I grew up in a context where um, everyone thought the word gay meant um, homosexuals who uh, were all addicted to drugs and all went to group sex parties and all hated God. Yeah, like on, like what, on the scene, almost yeah, like yeah. Party, party, drugs, like, oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. That's kind of the, the kind of horrible stereotype that I heard about the word gay and what the word gay meant when when I was growing. Um, whereas, if you ask kind of a middle schooler today uh, what the word gay means, they would just say a boy who likes a boy or a girl who likes a girl with no kind of assumptions about their theological convictions or about whether or not they're pursuing a romantic relationship with the people that they're attracted to. Um, so, so what the, the challenge we get into here is no matter what phrase you use, what word we use, same-sex attracted, gay, it's going to communicate what we want it to communicate to some people, and it's going to be confusing for other people. And so I think, unfortunately, the conclusion is uh, there's, no, there's no perfectly understood baggage-free term. So for me, I regularly refer to myself as a gay Christian committed to a traditional sexual ethic. Um, and when I have an opportunity to share my story, I often clarify what I mean by that, what I mean by a traditional sexual ethic, that, that I believe that God calls every Christian to either a lifetime vocation of abstinence singleness for the sake of kingdom work with undivided attention, or a lifetime vocation of marriage between one Christian woman and one Christian man with an openness to raising children for the sake of the kingdom. Uh, so those are my convictions. 
and uh, and I believe those things are true because I believe that there is a God and that God knows what is best for me better than I do and that God has revealed himself to us through the scriptures read with the church historic. Uh, and I'm gay. And I'm still gay. You know, I, I, I mean, I went through 10, about a decade of meeting with Pray the Gateway therapists and interning for a Pray the Gateway ministry. And um, I tried, you know, those kinds of solutions. Um, and, and like many, uh, like most, they were ineffective. Yeah. And like most, they actually led to um, uh, worse mental health outcomes rather than better mental health outcomes for me. Um, and so, yeah, that, 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 that's the phrase that, that makes the most sense to me. Uh, and maybe particularly in the context in the U S that I, uh, disciple in, uh, those are the most helpful words. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I recognize, I respect people who use different words in different language. Um, and yeah, there's no perfect, uh, term. Uh, I don't think anyway. No, I, I'd agree. I think I, I would use either term. However, I think because, so I guess this maybe has to do with public presence. Like I, I've generally, you know, been quite open with the things going on in my life. I'm generally active in social media. I think also I'm the only one people who know me for being quite upfront and honest about the things happening. So if someone, I also respond to things quite literally. So if someone asks me, are you gay? I would say yes, but that's not like, I don't carry any baggage with saying that. It's just factually, if someone's asking me that, and that's the answer I give. Mm-hmm. However, I certainly with Christians, I kind of I go more with same sex attracted, or I certainly would say like you, gay, but I hold to a traditional sexual ethic, and then I'd explain. I, I'm an explainer. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I think I think it maybe comes from a sense that when you'd be trying to justify what you are or what you feel to yourself, you become someone who becomes just a justifier, an explainer. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I think that I'm often in a position of maybe even to a fault over explaining. And people are like, oh, you don't need to tell me. And I'm like, I just, I feel like mm-hmm. I, I prefer that people know with clarity what I think about something than giving them room sure. to think, think it up for themselves. Especially, as you said, there is a lot of baggage, and certainly in the context they grew up in. So, uh, my dad's a pastor, still is a pastor. Um, the church context that I grew up in, you know, again, I would say it was very much village raised as a child. I, I was quite known to the people growing up around me for a long time, being just a child of pastor, and I've got a twin brother and an older sister. And so we were kind of always really well looked after, and people, people were, I think, were just invested in the outcomes of our lives to a point that obviously they've known me since I'm like, you know, yay high, four or five years old. The idea that I'm even 15 years down the line, they're going to go, he's, he's what? Oh, I would have never imagined this. I had this whole, I've seen this guy grow up and have this whole vision of what he's going to be. And I guess if they put it that way, also what he's not going to be. And so mm. uh, I I think once I decided I would talk about it publicly, I made sure to do so quite swiftly to the people that I would see daily. So um, mm. my parents were one of the first people I told. Uh, but uh, <laughs> maybe a story for another time didn't necessarily go that well. I mean, I guess hmm. I have grace for the circumstance of the surprise and, again, like, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, that they would have had visions of what I'd become. They probably imagined me getting married to a wonderful woman, raising kids, like, hmm. just like they did, you know, and again, sure. it's not, I don't think that's unkind, I don't think it's cruel to want that, I don't think it's necessarily even putting baggage on me to want that, but I guess... Hmm. It's, you know, as, as a child or a child, a young adult, but whatever, you have parents that are alive still, turning up to them, kind of going, uh, this, this part of me that you maybe ascribed already or had, had set in your head of what it was, I actually can't say that that's my experience. And then you're kind of like tripping over yourself, trying to, and you've had time to kind of put the thoughts together, but there's nothing like sitting in front of someone and actually saying, mm. this is right. what I experienced. I have no idea that I'm still now, um, I always shake a little bit. I'm like, I have no idea what they're going to say when they learn this about me. And, I, and in my head, I remember when, when I acknowledged it. Um, I acknowledged it online in the briefest of ways, just simply because, not, not because I didn't want to talk about it, but to me, it was in material terms not changing anything. You know, and the mm-hmm. same person that all the people that see that, the person they've come to know all those years is the same person that experienced this. So it's not like 
think, oh, he's gay, and like, well, okay, right. but like, has that changed anything about the experience I've given you as a friend, as a family member, as, you know, someone you work with? Probably not. Like, or it might, it might affect it, but I certainly can't say negatively in that, you know, consciously either. So, um, I think that moves us on quite nicely to the, you know, the notion of coming out, even if that's not mm-hmm. the most helpful term, but actually, why it matters to do so. I know some people in the aftermath would be like, so do you, how do you feel? Do you feel better? Do you feel like you've lightened the load somewhat? And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, I mean, <laughs> let's say there's still a load, but it's nice to, it's nice to actually talk about it, like, as part of myself. I think for so long, like, that part of me has existed as a sort of separate part of self, and that was always mm-hmm. dealt with privately. And obviously, if you, if you grew up, Without being able to talk about this with anyone, as was generally the case for me, you learn that anything that could be perceived to be part of that world cannot come anywhere near the rest of you. Like you treat it like some sort of I don't know, um, you know, infectious train of thought. I'm like, nope, can't let it touch that. Can't let it get close because then it will make everything else seem, you know, that little bit more gay. <laughs> and it's just like, obviously, that's not how it actually works. But certainly, mentally, growing up, you you think these are two different parts of yourself but you're trying to figure out when the other one will kind of leave you alone and go away mm. and at some point you're kind of like it, it, it's not and actually as I get older and as I go into my own skin I'm like I actually don't think I wanted to like I wanted to become part of self and superlistically move forward and I think that was mm. what I got most out of the notion of coming out or telling people about this some people were like ah, cool other people were sort of like, okay, let's, let's talk about this. And I didn't really mind. Mm-hmm. Honestly, my favourite reaction is probably still my sister's. And she was just like, okay, well, um, obviously it's a bit of a surprise, but you've obviously, this hasn't come out of the blue. So she just asked me, um, kind of, you know, has there been any books, has there been any whatever that you've been reading or something that's helped you understand what this looks like so I can at least, like, learn like, I have no problem with people knee-jerk reactions. I don't expect everyone to, you know, open arm and be like, wonderful. But, like, you know, again, people who want to learn are infinitely going to be more compassionate and, and helpful to someone's sense of self than those who have already closed themselves off to what could be or what is or what isn't. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's why it's important for me. But what would you say to that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, as a therapist, um, I definitely seen this to be true for my counseling clients and for myself that uh, the the most effective way to push away toxic shame and to kind of remove the self hate that many homophobic environments installed in us that is ultimately not of the Lord. It's not a that's not a a, a hate of sin or a hate of brokenness. It's a hate of the image of God. Um, and so um, coming out to oneself. You know, being honest with oneself about one's sexual orientation and the enduring nature of sexual orientation on this side of heaven and make and coming to peace with that, surrendering to that reality in a certain way, surrendering to God's faithfulness in that reality in a certain way. Um, and then kind of coming up to God, you know, I mean, obviously we know that God knows everything before we know it, but, but, uh, but kind of recognizing it in prayer and recognizing in a way that we're like, okay, I'm really admitting to myself as well that like God has been here, God has seen all of these things, God knows my heart, and then you finally invite this into your conversations with God, and then only you know, and then only after that is there a coming out to kind of other people in your life that you care about, and some people come out more broadly, but you know my my experience has been the more that I have come out, the less power that actually same sex attractions seem to have in my life, um, because they're not this thing that I'm. Uh, you know, generally, temptations thrive in the darkness, and they diminish in the light. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I found it really, and and I and I couldn't really fully kind of integrate all the, these different parts of my life until until I could be free of the 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 anxiety and the laboring of trying to hide and trying to navigate and trying to keep it a secret to certain people in certain spaces. There's just so much time and energy I spent on that for, for many years. So it was a relief to be done with it. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm, so I'm still working through that part. Of like, sure. You know, it's, it's a long process. You're, you're bringing it out. And I think yeah. 
acknowledging to yourself is such a massive thing and actually going, okay, right, okay, um, I think we could go forward like this. And as you said, bringing yeah. it before God and saying, okay, like, this is what this is and this, this we'll get mm-hmm. on to kind of going, okay, I think I understand what your word says on this and what it means. So if this is the deal, if this is what we're going to do, then then okay, <laughs> I trust you with this and this is, you know, this is going to take all of oneself, you know, like with you know, all aspects of discipleship and walking in the faith, like this is going to demand everything of me and that, that's, that's what, you know, we believe in, as you said, in the word of God and the truth of his word, but also the love and compassion that comes with it. It's the thing, I think, when some people want to, like some people, I've had people uh, that's almost with very little context, like to, you know, go full good moments one, look at what they say there. I'm like, I, I guess I can read, I, I know what it says there, but this, if it makes you feel better, is not about to make me magically become straight. I think there's always, there's always this notion when people do things like that, that they think, like you said, that like after all this time, I'll it, you know, one word, one word from you, and it will, will be great. Will be, will be straight. It'll be easy. You know, like it's better. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the things you said were part of the conversations I had with um, people like my parents, certain folks from church. And again, I have, I have grace for that. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, the notion of um, trying to understand that lots of people have. Like, I remember thinking to myself, there's there's three sides to this. There'll be um, Christians who are, I say, welcoming, but they're, they're at peace with the fact they want to support me and and that sense of um, acknowledging the orientation but not pursuing on it. There'll be people that, there'll be Christians that don't accept that either because they, they are affirming and think, well, I don't think God's asking you to do that. You know, often, often do what you want. Or mm. the other side of going, why can't you really tolerate or acknowledge that you can you can acknowledge the orientation and it's like right so there's that and then on the flip side there'll be people who are not in christ or not christ yet who will say um you know and I, that's more of the side because most a lot of my friends are not christians and they'll be like oh is this just not repressive is this just not mm-hmm. you know i i know that your faith means a lot to you and i see that in your life but can you really can you really acknowledge that the God that you serve is asking you to do this. Is that saying that? Because you, you're, I think for them, they kind of go, well, you acknowledge that that you're made in the image of God, and you acknowledge that sexual orientation you have, and then you also acknowledge that the same God has also put some sort of limits or some kind of, you know, cage on that. And so it's, it's always that kind of way of weaving through, and I guess we talk about sides because um, in parlance only surrounding this topic. Certainly maybe I don't know if it's more is it more prevalent the sort of side A B X Y is that more prevalent in the States? I don't know how prevalent it is here. I think I actually found out more so about it from a podcast and um, another podcast called Life in Side B. Um mm-hmm. I don't know if you know where Josh Yeah my experience it. has been that in um places like the UK and other places that are a little bit more post-Christian or where mm-hmm. cultural Christianity doesn't have as much a hold over the space anymore, there just aren't as many people who are side A, essentially. Um, most people are either not Christian or they're side B or they're side X. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's been your experience, but uh, yeah. I mean, most people, if they get far enough kind of away from historic Christianity to abandon a biblical sexual ethic, they probably already think just the whole idea of the Christian God of the Bible is silly and they probably fully deconstructed. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably my experience. I don't, and it's something I just, I remember thinking to myself, you know what, like, it'd be amazing to be able to talk to people, whether I agree with them or not, who are affirming and are Christians, and I'd love to hear how they got there. And in the same way, like, for, for those of the, the ex gay movement, I'd love to know how they got there. I mean, I think, I think it's actually going further and um, usually to break it down quickly, you say ABXY? Yeah, sure. So this is some terminology that was um, popularized by the uh, Gay Christian Network, now the Queer Christian Fellowship, which is a um, progressive uh, Christian um, organization based in the states around uh, LGBT plus topics. And anyway, the terminology, so in this kind of system of thought, mm-hmm. it's trying to break down 
trying to get us away from just a pure conservative versus liberal, traditional yeah. versus progressive kind of dichotomy and recognize that kind of the beliefs on this are on a spectrum. Um, and so at one end of the spectrum, there is um, uh, what's called side A, a cluster of beliefs called side A, or other people might know that as a progressive sexual ethic or a gay affirming theology, et cetera. Um, but a belief that, um, that uh, kind of God and the God of the Bible would bless a, a same-sex marriage in the same way as he would bless any opposite-sex marriage. Uh, some get there through some kind of interesting theological acrobatics with scripture, but yeah. most get there uh, ultimately by saying that the Bible uh, you know, no longer really tells us who the true God is, that it's outdated. It's not binding for people in the modern context, but that we know, you know, who the real God is. We can feel it in our bones who the real God ought to be, yeah. and that that God um, is 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 for a uh, gay marriage just as much as any other marriage. On the other side of the spectrum, um, there's a cluster that might be called Side X, named after the X gay movement or Pray the Gay Away theology. Um, and people that hold that perspective believe that, uh, you know, if you pray hard enough or you go to the right counseling. You can change anyone's sexual orientation uh, and that everyone ought to be in an opposite sex Christian marriage um, and that any lingering same sex attractions is, uh, is, is a sign of willful disobedience or lukewarm sanctification um, and lingering same sex attractions are sins in and of themselves. Um, so uh, in, my, in my opinion, neither of those extremes are biblical and neither of those extremes are psychologically healthy. Um, they both lead to their own kinds of death, unfortunately. Um, then in the middle, um, the kind of middle way between these two extremes is what someone calls side B, or a compassionate traditional sexual ethic. Um, and, and this kind of middle space um, uh, kind of recognizes that, that, uh, that people uh, are gay, uh, and that sexual orientation doesn't really change, and that people don't choose who they're attracted to, um, that this middle space does believe that this, the same sex attractions is a, is a brokenness. That's it's a result of, of the fall, um, that ultimately, um, gay romance and sex are, are sins in any context, um, that God is calling all people, including same sex attracted people to either, um, vocational singleness, absent of vocational singleness or Christian marriage. Um, but this middle space also recognizes you know, but, but gay people will still be gay, you know, yeah. and, and we need spaces in our churches where those gay people can share about their story uh, and don't feel shame about sharing about their story, where they can find fellowship among others with a similar story, where they can find support for their unique challenges, um, but also where they're not treated as some kind of alien thing either. Yeah. Um, so those are kind of uh, really quickly kind of the three theological camps. Uh, and again, those are all, all, all on the spectrum. So there are also other perspectives everywhere in between and on each extreme of, of, of those beliefs. Yeah, okay, so that's, it's good to clear up because I, I certainly, when I came into listening to that podcast and hearing about those things, I was like, okay, this helps a lot because as you said, like you, I think most people that will listen to this likely have grown up in the sense of, again, progressive versus traditional epic, but, but that was where it was starting and stops and I think, so yeah, I think both sides of the Atlantic, I think that got caught up in the wider you know, are you left leaning, right leaning? Like, you know, you know, some people. I don't. Oh, I don't want to show this guy nothing sacred anymore. Just you know, it becomes something where people have felt forced to put quite a hard line in the sand and what they will or won't mm-hmm. believe or um, be open to discussing or all these kind of things. So I think those sides, I think, can help mm. leave room. I think for discussion. Because, uh, again, you, we talk about, you know, do you agree with me or do you not? I think at the same time, like, I think I often go back to these discussions where people want to feel loved and known. And that is, that is you know, the true heart of the, the God we both believe in. And I think sometimes when people wanting to shoot, wanting to chase and wanting to tell people that's what I believe to be the truth, often leave love at the door. And they mm-hmm. come in, they come in hard with all these things that they believe. Or, as I said, that that sort of, I think, Bible bashing nature probably comes from. They, they, people who do physically want to hit you with one and say, "Have you read this? Like, how can you be like this?" And I'm like, "Look, I don't know what to tell you, but the point is, I wholly believe in God and I acknowledge my sexual orientation. And mm-hmm. you know, 
and I, I have ordered one, I've ordered this such that God comes first, and so here's what that means. Um, and I think when people hear that, they're a little bit taken aback, and then I think when they talk further with me about how I've got there and what that means, there's actually, I, most of the people I spoke to, there's been a sort of, okay, I can, I can respect what, what you're trying to do here, I can understand mm. whether I agree or not what you're trying to do, and actually, um, you know, it's, it's been really helpful for me to learn what it looks like to, to walk through those conversations with people. Um, you know, you refine your own sense of thinking on it, refine how you explain it, the terms you use. Um, I know when I moved down to London, when, even when I was signing up, signing up, when I was taking a look at the church, uh, I remember thinking, well, I'm going to have to discuss this with the pastor before I can really commit to being yeah. here. And it was, I remember when meeting some of the other folk in the church, I actually met quite a number of the folk at the church before actually attending on a Sunday. And so some of them had seen me two or three times by the time like, the first Sunday rolled around. And I thought, okay, so like, are you second round or what would it take? And I was a bit like, um, um well, you know, uh, probably need to speak to the pastor first. Uh, <laughs> and then we can see. And I think, like, even irrespective of having to broach the attraction, I, th- I think it's generally good advice. If you are looking at a church, you need to speak to the people that create the culture and the direction of that church before signing up there. Like, again, a lot of Christians pulling in the same direction is a powerful thing. You need to make sure it's something you can actually give all of yourself to. And I think mm-hmm. to that point, that is why uh, I think coming out of this, if this is the position you're in, I think that's where its sense of importance comes from. Actually, knowing that the people around you know and acknowledge this part of yourself means kill all of your all of your person can be brought to what you're about to do because yeah. you know if, if a topic comes up that like you don't have you don't have to feign straight person i don't you don't have to sit here and be like yeah. i guess all these all these experiences you speak of i remember i remember my teenagers that it was exactly the same like you don't have to do that you don't have to figure out ways to to hide and mask what actually was going on in your world and I find yeah it's not the same for everyone I certainly find for me um it's taken a bit of a weight off and how I just mm-hmm. generally move through the world because now I can acknowledge sure. um the things that resonate with me in a way I probably couldn't do so before even if that's just amongst close friends even if you know that's fine again people want to be known and loved it doesn't have to be yeah by everyone all the time they just want to feel that when they turn up somewhere they're not you know trying to you know mute something they don't think they can mute it's like when people go oh could you not just be straight like i don't know how i want here i don't know how i'll get there like um so yeah that's that's really cool do you you think there were any things that were super helpful to remember like throughout the the kind of fresh process of coming out with friends family church members or anything that kind of sticks out as good advice to you now um i think you know it depends on whether you're coming out to people who are kind of more progressive uh, or more conservative. Uh, I'd say if you're coming out to people who are kind of more conservative, uh, you know, likely you have thought about your sexual orientation and kind of and kind of found this kind of space of nuance between a traditional sexual ethic and the reality that gay people, the sexual orientation doesn't change. You found that nuance, and it's taken you you know months or years to find that nuance. The people are going to be coming out to they've not done that work yet. No. And so they're likely going to respond in, 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 in ways that are painful, uh, in ways that are ham-fisted, in ways that are messy. Um, and, 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 and unfortunately, what they're going to be listening for is reassurance that you are not going to have gay sex, that you're not going to have gay romance, <laughs> that you believe that sexual, that, that uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, same-sex attractions are broken, right? Yeah. And it's just, it's so... In some ways, unfortunately, when I'm coming out to people who are more conservative, if I want to, if, if long term I want them to care for me and understand me, I actually have to do a lot of accommodating them when yeah. I come out to them in sharing it in a way that they will be able to receive it and understand it, which is not fair, right? Uh, I this is I'm taking a vulnerable and scary step, and I'm a person on the margins sharing with people who. Um, do not have to um, make sense of this burden. Um, I should not be having to do extra work to make sure that they don't hurt me. Yeah. Uh, but that's unfortunately a reality. I and mean, that's why some people hesitate to come out. Um, and then I think with people who are kind of coming out to people who have a more progressive sexual ethic, 
um, often they're going to ask pretty challenging questions about, and you've already brought this up, but pretty challenging questions about, wait, why aren't you just seeking out relationships with the people you're most drawn to? Prove to me that this is not self-hate. Prove to me that this is not repression or suppression. Um, and I think for someone who maybe is early in their journey of making sense of faith and sexuality and really wants to follow a traditional sexual ethic, but maybe doesn't feel really solidly grounded in their commitment to a traditional sexual ethic, all of that questioning from people with a progressive sexual ethic can be, uh, it can be um, alarming. It can be kind of uh, destabilizing. Now, I'm not saying we should not question a traditional sexual ethic. I actually think questioning is what strengthens our convictions. Um, but I think, it, you know, if you're in this very emotionally vulnerable place of coming out to people and all this is very raw for you and all this is very emotionally loaded, and then you have people who, for their own emotionally loaded reasons, perhaps respond, ask you tough questions that even those questions themselves may not be the most emotionally, might not be the most intellectually honest, or certainly will be very emotionally loaded. That's that's not the best, you know, no one would argue that's the, that that's the best environment in which yeah. to reason, right? In which to like, <laughs> you know, examine the facts uh, of, the, of things. And so, so I, I think also just recognize that, that uh, depending on who you share with, that also might be really challenging. So yeah. now I'm not, again, I'm not discouraging anyone from coming out. Um, I'm not discouraging any Christians who experience same-sex attraction but are committed to God's wisdom from coming out. There's lots of benefits, as I've already yeah. mentioned, uh, and, and, there, and, there's, and there's, there's challenges as well. Um, and so uh, I think most of all, my advice then would recognize that uh, the process of coming out is going to be a, a sanctifying process. Um, it's going to um, – but that means it's going to be challenging. That means you're going to need some good support in that process good friends and mentors who, who, who embrace you um, uh, and, and, and love you and all of you, including the reality of your same-sex attractions, and that are really com committed to a traditional sexual ethic um, so that they can help support you in that season and so that you can grow strengthened in that season. Yeah, absolutely. I certainly think that was part of – was not the reason that I – uh, moved to London so far from it I had a job that's why I came down but I remember thinking well you know it would probably be good to get a bit of space from the context I grew up in it's not that it was negative it just that's you know that is loaded with the things I grew up with so actually being able to take some space and go okay what does this look like as as a grown man living away from where they grew up um, you know I so I kind of as I told people at the church you know again around that same sort of November, December time, Christmas last year. And in fairness, that gave a really good run of about six to seven months of being able to be around them still in that context and them knowing that because they were people that had watched me grow up and I had switched churches since it's a different church from the one I grew up in that's still mm -hmm. same city, literally along the same road. It just went because it was more students when I started uni. But knowing that they'd watched me grow for those years at university and then share this news with them, but they already knew me as a person, so there wasn't a sort of, I guess, disposition change. And actually, mm -hmm. it felt really good. I mean, I spoke quite extensively um, to trusted friends at the church with the pastor before ever acknowledging this more publicly to anyone, because it just meant I kind of knew, you knew where your safety points were. You knew that, like, you know, for every day it's a difficult conversation or a bit of self-doubt or whatever. You knew who the people were that just kind of, you could just say, look, that's what's going on, and they'd be like, okay. Like, again, it's not, I think, it goes for most things, but sometimes you're not looking for something to be fixed. Sometimes you know that it can't be fixed. Right. And you're just going to go, look, I just, I just need to tell someone, anyone, that this is how I feel, and I don't know what to do with it. I mean, I, I process, you may have seen I've got a blog, I do a lot of writing, this is kind of how I do it. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think, in some ways, it's where a lot of my better work comes out of just going, I don't know what to do with it, but <laughs> it needs to go somewhere so I can just move forward and actually knowing where you are, I guess I'll call them your lighthouses when I see, you kind of know what works mm -hmm. to fall into. So I think that's super, super helpful. Um, moving more towards the church side of things, um, obviously a lot of your work is done in consulting web churches about how they can make their spaces uh, mm. safe. Some of more accommodating sense of the word, but certainly 
possession lady. It's just frankly more loving. And that's not and mm-hmm. I think I want to say loving because I don't necessarily want to say I guess I say affirming only because it's linked to the sense of affirming or non non affirming theology. But I want to say that, you know, however people turn up, they're actually going to be loved and loved well and supported. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I think this this is a conversation that yes, we are both having it generally pertaining to sex extraction or gay people, the LGBT more widely, but this, this extends to people who are heterosexual and single. This extends to anyone who is not, I guess, considered within the man-wife 2.4 kids dog. Like, mm-hmm. there's loads of people going through loads of things that I don't think churches have necessarily equipped themselves well right. to actually yeah. broach. And so it's like, it's like when people go, I'm, I didn't, didn't know there was any gay people here. And like, Okay, the, the statistical probability that there are zero gay people in this church of 100, 150 people, it's, it's more likely just if you scale it up to the general population, that that's just, it's just unlikely that you don't know anyone in this congregation of people that might be going through a non, I don't know, heteronormative lifestyle according to yourselves, which means mm-hmm. there's at least a couple of people that are probably not receiving the kind of love and support and care that you're, you're all too ready to offer to the people that are following that. Um, so have you found that there's been any particular, ch- well, have you got any particular challenges you've stumbled across when, when doing your work, you know, from the view of churches, what's been a challenge for them to loving, you know, same-sex attracted, gay, single people well, and yeah, how can we, how can we help with that process as such? Yeah, so I think uh, where you began that question or that uh, that share is a good place to jump off from uh, the word love and what it means to love. Um, and I like St. Thomas Aquinas' definition of love, that love is to will the good of the other. So there's two important things going on in that definition. The good of the other. Um the good is not subjective. It's not relative. What it's saying is uh, to will, to help them take hold of, to make real in their life, the best things, right? And we know the best things by reading the scriptures with the church historic. So if we throw away the true good, yeah. if we're willing people towards something other than what is truly good, we're not actually loving. Mm. Okay. But then there's the first part of that definition, which is to will the good of the other. You're doing something yes. to help them take hold of that. You're taking real steps. You're not just telling them that's what's good. You're carrying them to what is good. Both are necessary. And I think what I experience with churches uh, or Christian leaders who may find themselves closer to that progressive sexual ethic or that pray to get away theology is that they're lacking something from that definition of love. They're either lacking the the good of the other part, or they're lacking the the willing, yes. the person to the good part. Um, so, um, you know, most often uh, the kind of churches that, that equip the ministry I run work with works with um, are churches that are uh, have a similar theological conviction and kind of philosophy as myself, but maybe are slightly more conservative than me. And so, what I'm often kind of helping those churches do um, is is recognize ways uh, that they're that, that they're blind to that they're not aware of that their church may actually be getting in the way of gay people thriving according to a traditional sexual ethic. So for most of the churches we work with, they they kind of understand, oh, we need to be doing better one-on-one pastoral care with gay people. Oh, we need to be speaking clearly and publicly and with compassion about God's love and wisdom for gay people. Yeah. They've got those two things down. That's not, that's not even those two things are not easy, but they're doing those two things, which is great. Um, but often churches are missing three other important elements. Um, and, and, and because these other three important elements are missing, gay people usually are not thriving in their churches yet. Because three other things also need to be happening. Our churches need to be protecting kids from the wounds of the closet. Our churches need to be raising the bar for everyone's sexual stewardship. And our churches need to be fostering places where single people can find real, lived-in, lifelong family. Um, and few of our churches are doing any of those three things. And so I, I say protect kids from the wounds of the closet because... In my experience as a therapist, uh, well, sorry, back up. On average, there's a five-year gap between when teens first recognize same-sex attractions versus share with a parent or pastor. Yeah. That means that's five years. The kids are 
making sense of their sexuality without the love and wisdom of God and their parents alone with the lies of the enemy and the culture. And the fruit of that five years in the closet is often uh, anxiety, depression, suicidality, sexual addiction, other unhealthy unhealthy coping mechanisms, abandoning a traditional sexuality, abandoning a belief in God altogether. Those are the wounds of the closet. Yeah. And those those wounds, uh, in my experience, is, is the is a is a primary barrier to gay Christians in in the, at least current generations from thriving according to a traditional sexuality. Those lingering wounds of the closet continue to haunt them. Yeah. So the way to prevent that, yeah, uh, is to um, is to make sure the kids never go in the closet. Is to make sure that as soon as they notice any same-sex attractions, they share with their parents and pastors. But the only way to do that is you've got to talk about God's love and wisdom for gay people before puberty, before kids ever ever develop same-sex attractions. So that by the time some of them do develop same-sex attractions, they know uh, their, their parents have invited them to share, and they've demonstrated safety, and they do so. Um, yeah, the second blind spot I said was kind of churches failing to to, to have a high bar of sexual stewardship for all people. You know, unfortunately, a lot of our churches hold gay people to a high standard of sexual stewardship, but then kind of bend or break the rules when it comes to straight sexual stewardship. You know, they don't, they don't take what the Bible has to say about unbiblical divorce and remarriage seriously for straight people. They don't take uh, Jesus and Paul's invitation to consider lifetime abstinence singleness for the sake of the kingdom serious for straight people. They don't take kind of the, 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 the importance of, of raising children for the sake of the kingdom, the importance of that to God's design for Christian marriage, they don't take that seriously for straight people. Uh, yet they continue to hold gay people to a high standard of sexual stewardship. So one, that creates a double standard and a victim mentality that enables gay people to to kind of fall away from God's wisdom, um, to question whether it's really good or true. But also us, you know, bending and breaking God's wisdom for straight people isn't ultimately helping straight people. You know, the rates of of divorce and infidelity are super high among straight marriages. So clearly what we're doing there is not working either. So we've got to raise the bar for everyone's uh, sexual stewardship in a way that will benefit everyone. Uh, and then the last but not least I would say is um, few of our churches are places where people call to lifetime singleness for the sake of the kingdom, regardless of sexual orientation, could find lifelong lived-in family. Um, and it's that lack of family that leads many single people to poor sexual stewardship or to abandoning a traditional sexual ethic or to abandoning their calling from God to vocational singleness. So I think our churches need to kind of learn from the early church um, and need to uh, say yes to the responsibility of cultivating intentional Christian community where single people could find a lifelong lived-in human family. Um, so, and that's a lot of the work that Equip, the ministry that I run, does with churches, and we'd love to do that kind of work with churches in the UK. Uh, you know, obviously we equip Christian leaders to better to do better one-on-one pastoral care with gay people, and obviously we we like to support churches as they teach publicly and clearly and compassionately about God's love and wisdom for gay people. But I think what we really do well at Equip, we we uniquely do well, is that we help churches um, prevent the wounds of the closet raise the bar for everyone's sexual stewardship and foster intentional Christian community where uh, those called the singleness can find family. Thanks. That, that, is, that is excellent. I really loved hearing the definition you gave at the start from St. Thomas because I think that's as often as you get perfectly sums up that notion of chucking the Bible at you and saying, have you read that? It's like going, yeah, well, here's, like, it's like someone going, I'm thirsty the responder going, ah yes, there's water, and then not acting on the bed, we're saying there's a stream just over there, let me show you where it is, and then the, you know, someone dies at first, and then, oh, so sad, the water was right there, right? And you're like, <laughs> like thanks. Um, yeah. But it's, it's that kind of way, I think you're right, the sort of the sense of family, it becomes super important, because when you can't see other people that are living this out, and you're also watching the rules, the rules but you're also watching God's word get bent, and broken and then you're just like well right cool look who's looking out for the people that have to actually live this out who are, who do want to be faithful to the traditional ethic and mm-hmm. it's got kind of way like some some people even within the church aren't really giving them that great a reason to do so and um, mm-hmm. you know i think i always think of the and i'm not blaming the people in question because i understand if you don't have someone who's same-sex attracted or vocationally single leading the talks 
then it, this will happen. But I, I can clearly remember a few times where it's been the wonderful sense of um, someone speaking on the idea of sex relationships at a youth, you know, you know, teenage club or youth club or something, or even just in the church in the front, you know, making no mention to people who might be same-sex attracted, LGBT, whatever, and kind of giving you this sort of sense, sense of sexuality only given from one side, and then you feel like you've not been given much help at all. And the, the worst, worst past all of that, like, they'll, they'll tell you about all the the perils of pornography or sex before our draw, all these things, which they should do, mm-hmm. right? They do agree with that, but, like, then kind of, you know, rolling off with their wife and four kids and their SUV and kind of going right by off of the week. And it's like, where are you meeting people in the middle of these things when mm-hmm. there's not anyone you can point them to that says, this person has... Um, actually tasted of God and saw that he's good, this is what this person's doing and I'd like to make sure that you are getting that kind of support and I think sometimes people just don't actually know who to turn to but I think um, I imagine that for some churches there's a fear still that grips them of saying well what happens if we start you know um, talking about this more publicly or we start you know openly acknowledging that we're supporting people in this position then lots of people think that we've straight from our traditional ethics so we're not you know less christian than we were we've got we've got woke we've got left side um and it's just i think it becomes one of these things where you talk about the wounds of the closet like that's what people are seeing you know when you know you want to think about uh, i certainly know from my own experience that those those wounds most of the ones you listed are still very much a part of my life now because sure i now have to work those out that you know the stuff that was going on when I was fourteen, I couldn't, couldn't talk about, so I couldn't deal with in any you know helpful out of myself way. So there you go. Sure. You have to wait until later up in twenty four now. So you have to think, okay, cool. And now we're having to deal with these things where some things got baked in much earlier in time that might have not been if this had been a place where you could openly discuss what was going on. That's not that you had to know. And I understand sort of the fear some people hold of oh it's all a phase and people are changing their pronouns every week and people you know they can't decide they're just like i get all that but what i mean is mm. most people who say things like that are not the people even stepping alongside the the children of young adults or whatever in question and actually helping them tease out what it is and what it might not be so they just think that there's this notion that people are waking up one day and deciding it's the cool thing to do to be part of the lgbt and like sure like, i'm you know as i said i I feel more so at peace um, for coming out, but I, I don't don't want to kind of confuse people that I'm having the time of my life currently. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think people that think this is, I don't know what they think I'm getting out of saying this, but I don't think there's any truth in it. If that's my experience of it, that's my experience. Like, the, the way churches have generally responded, some of the people I know, I'm not exactly, you know, most people being supportive, but the ones that haven't been supportive have not been supportive. Like, it doesn't, your life has it's not suddenly just exponentially got better because right. I can talk about it and you have to remember it's still the vast majority of people are not in this position. So it's not exactly like you're running around with all these sets you bases of support to turn to. So I think when when people want to make it sound like it's some sort of trendy hip millennial thing to do, they're like, I think this really like does a very bad injustice to the actual lived experiences of the people you're talking about. If it was all yeah. a walk in the if it was all a walk in the park, then you wouldn't see the number of suicides in that group of people skyrocket. You wouldn't see the mental health issues you see. You wouldn't see the facts that some people just think that they point blank don't exist. You know, can right. you imagine? Can you imagine being in front of someone that thinks oh, it's all just like make believe? People are really gay. They just want attention. Can you, if you, mm-hmm. you grew up and someone said something like that, and you're going home crying yourself to sleep at night, going, "Well, I don't know why I feel this way," and people think it doesn't matter or it doesn't exist, and Right. support and and then when when you come out later and say well these are the things that have been going on and they're like oh why'd you not like you know get help or something and like no there was no environment to do such a thing like you know i think people don't take seriously sometimes that the environment they foster whether in the home or at the church or at the school or whatever that environment will breed the people that like in the same way that will breed the people that you think you want it will also reject and show the rejection for those that you disdain like you can't right yeah people want to say oh but we're welcoming and affirming i'm like well i can see zero examples of that for my my time there or in this space mm. like 
people are patting themselves on the back for doing things that they don't even recognise are actually not helping people. Again, mm-hmm. for me, even the sim- sim- simple thing of servants where, where it's appropriate, excuse me, where it pertains, actually saying, okay, and there's also a group of people that don't necessarily fit what I've just said regarding um, marriage between a man and women. There's people that have different attractions. And let's address that too, because God has a vision and a love and a plan for those people too. And this is not sort of, you know, that would go, that go a long way. And I'm very glad that I have come across a church here where I feel that is the case. But what I mean is that that sense of, like you said, just not being treated like you're some sort of outcast, you know, just by, just by the inclusion, the exclusion of language used, the way people actually refer to people in this position. I think also, I would please add to that how people talk about uh, the wider cultural sense of things around this. But again, someone doesn't have to be saying it about you particularly to still be saying something disparaging yeah. about other groups of people. And you're kind of like, well, like, hang on here, we're all made in the image of God. Before you start saying things like that, have you thought about what that will do to the people in that? I don't know why some people still think that if they, if you, they go around with the sense of like, why are you not like repulsed by your own existence? I will magically think, ah, yes, Let's me mm-hmm. let's me yeah, not a very, obtain uh, this heterosexuality you speak of and everything will be fine. Like right. not, not a very never a way to win anyone to anything. And I think yeah. um I think some people will hear it and go, you actually know people that do that? And I'm like, I know people that would if they were given the platform to do so. If they if like if they lived they worked and operated in spaces where that kind of thinking was shared with the people they spoke to. The natural, sure, like, sure. that's what they discuss, and I think it's that way in which this to me is you know, again, it's why I do this podcast. It's all about the kind of open discussion. I don't, I don't need, no one want, I don't need everyone to kind of say, I agree with what you're doing. I just want people to actually be willing to have the discussion about what it is and what it isn't, which is why yeah, the audio is certainly so important because, mm-hmm. um. We are currently living in a culture where people have less time than ever to actually give their views any real thought, but they are being given more tools than ever to amplify the thoughts that they've not thought much about. Mm. And it's some point people don't actually know the reach of what they're saying and who that's helping and who that's hurting. And yeah. Yeah. they're not being asked responsibly by the people around them. Well, why do you say that? Why do you think that? Have you thought about what right. that view says of you, of God, of, of yeah. all these things? Um, and so... So true. Well, hey, uh, Nathan, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I actually have to get, I have a counseling client starting uh, in 30 seconds, so I'm about to roll off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, um, but yeah, great time. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'll pause this. Is there any chance if I send you a couple of the last questions you should voice them at some point? Because I know some people are really Um, looking forward to hearing about the um, National House of Brothers. Um, the, might, I uh, might be able to, the, the easiest thing might just be to, to kind of connect you to some, uh, some, some articles that I've written already about some of those. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but yeah, send them to me and I might be able to get around to it. I just have a really tough schedule in the next two or three weeks. So it might be a month or so before I'd be able to get to it. That's fine. I'm not in any particular rush. Um, okay. Here's the idea. I'll send you the questions when you have time. That'd be lovely if you could get back some. Yeah. Sounds Very good. Nice. All Thank right. Thank you for coming on the short speed time. Yeah, bye. Yep, yep. <laughs> well, that was absolutely excellent. Apologies that that's, you know, kind of cut itself off there. <laughs> I just kind of just thought, well, most of the podcasts I do are about an hour, hour and a half or so, but that's fair. We, <laughs> as you can tell, we could have spent all night talking. Um, and certainly I will try and follow up on those questions. Um, but yeah, I hope that what you have heard so far has been super helpful. I'd certainly love to try and follow up with Peter. I just hear he's a busy man. And um, when you hear of what's going on um, in the wider world, some of the churches you might know of or have heard of online, you can see why Equip, his ministry, probably has quite a lot of work to be doing. Because there's quite a lot of places that haven't not geared itself and equipped itself well to love and cherish and look out for um, those in the margins. So, yeah. Thanks so much for listening. I'll certainly try and follow those things up with Peter um, and see if we can get some answers. But yeah, this has been us for now. And this is the Honor of the Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all the good things. Um, I'll follow up with Peter and there'll either be uh, a second part to this or a couple of voice notes or I'll be the end. We'll figure it out together. Anyway, um, thank you for listening.
listening and remember we're all somebody's neighbours if there's anything you'd like to ask or comment about anything that's been said you can come and message us on Instagram at at godmademan um, and that's where you'll find me and you can ask me anything you like and I'll get back to you pretty quick so anyway thank you so much for listening and I'll hear I'll hear from you guys soon and remember we're all somebody's neighbour bye guys Alrighty, again, Nathan from the future. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I've tacked on an extra um, little section here. If you've listened to my last post, Thought from the Garden, um, you'll know this already, you've heard it. But I thought, given the nature of the podcast you've just heard, um, it's maybe worth sharing it again. I, I just wanted to offer a little bit of uh, context around some of the views I'd shared, um, especially regarding things like marriage. And singleness and what that means um so i've tagged that on and i've as i say in there there's notes and all sorts of things on the website www.godmademan.wordpress.com so you can see you can see the links to everything i'm speaking about there but yeah that's why this is here but yeah i hope it's useful um and i'll see you in the next one that american guest i'm talking about in time difference that's peter that's the blog <laughs> that's the podcast you've got that now so Enjoy and talk soon. Bye. Hello, hello. Before before I sign off, I know that um, earlier I kind of mentioned my view on on marriage and what that could look like for me and not look like for me. And I thought, apologies, I hope it's not, but I'll try. I'd like to try and offer some sort of context to that. If you're reading this later on the blog, I've left. Um, notes and links to the things I'm talking about but I thought I'd just I'd just share it now I think when it comes to my understanding of Christian marriage the simplistic rationale I can offer is in my understanding marriage was created by God for one man and one woman to act as a trailer as such to the movie that will be the spiritual marriage of God and his church and that spiritual relationship is between God as male and as the church i.e. the collective church of Christians as female and is often referred to as the bride in the Bible. Hosea 2, 16 to 20 particularly stands out amongst the many references, but I'm sure there's more. Um, there's a video that uh, you can find hyperlinks on the blog from a great resource called Living Out, which is really just been such a help for same-sex attracted Christians. Um, and that offers a bite-sized look at that concept, that essentially marriage on earth is just a trailer for the movie, um, the full works of all that is the reconciliation between God and his church at the second coming of Christ. But as God is male and the church is considered female, one cannot be substituted for the other. So God can't marry God, essentially. So likewise, in earthly marriage, it's a trailer. A man and a woman cannot be substituted for two men and two women. In this way, too, a marriage is a celebration of the union between two different things. On heaven, the difference between God and his church, and on earth, the difference between men and women. I think the saying of opposites attract does check out here, and I think it's maybe also why we've heard in descriptions of same-sex relationships of one man or woman having more of a masculine or feminine role in the relationship. Now that's not to say that there's nothing for those who are Christians and remain single, whether that's due to same-sex attraction or even to be heterosexual but have just not been able to marry. Um, I think and hold hope for the fact that there's so much still to be thankful for and celebrated even as we are single. I think singleness is also a gift and I think that we can absolutely celebrate what we've got whilst we have it. Marriage or singleness, sex, all of it is not for everyone despite what culture would have you believe. And I think that's okay, just as it's okay to want to be married. What I would say that, or what I would say is that as a culture, a church, a collection of Christians, and just generally speaking, we so need to improve how we meet and love those who are single, LGBT, both. So much hurt has been caused, lives have been lost, and spirits have been crushed by the church's inability to love as it was called to do in Matthew 28. Again, I'm not calling for churches to cast aside the traditional sexual ethic I've described above, but hold on, we, we can do a better job of loving people and meeting them where they are than we have done in the past. The first thing is to take responsibility and the second is to make improvements to our ministries and church culture to be more welcoming, to listen to people and not just to judge and to treat people 
as people to be loved, not issues to resolve. Um, thanks for listening to this kind of shorter clip. I kind of wanted to make it, um, as you can maybe tell, it's me um, recording the transcript of the blog that hopefully would be up by now or sometime around when this goes out. And I just thought it was really important for me, I think, to record, to make something like this, to provide some context. Um, uh, thankfully, I've been still creating things and some stuff that I've been wanting to share for a while, but I just felt that given what it would touch on, I didn't really feel comfortable doing that without giving more of a context. And as I said, this has only been um, a year that I've been able to really start talking about this with people, and even that has come with its ups and downs. But I feel in such a better place for having, I say, come out. I don't think coming out is necessarily a fantastic way to put it, but it's the only, the only, but it's the most commonly understood way and everyone kind of knows what you mean when you say it. Um, but I've been still creating some poems that I want to share. Um, I've actually just recorded another podcast not long ago with my um, first overseas guest, recorded with um, an American guest um, on time difference. So hopefully getting that out nice and soon. Um, and yeah, so... Let me know what you thought of this, if you've got any questions. I'll be making an effort when I'm putting the blog up. I'm going to try and collate a lot of the resources that I've looked at down the years, books, podcasts, other things that have kind of helped me, I guess, more like intellectually understand sexuality, God's view on it, what that means, um, same-sex attraction, all those kind of things. Um, so yeah, I hope this has been helpful i hope that like you know if any of this applies to you i hope firstly you know that um you're not alone in experiencing things like this and i hope that um and sharing things like this understand people asking you know do you not think this is a bit too personal do you know do you really need to share things like this and to be honest the best thing i can say is well these were the kind of things i wished i had growing up and um, you know being able to hear from other people who were experiencing something like this would have done me a world of good you know when I really really needed it and I didn't have it then as I said let's you know I can move past that and we're, we're working through things but I thought you know look I think if there's anything I can do to help those who might experience this going forward I'd love to be able to and I guess this is my small attempt to do that um, so I hope it's been helpful um, and yeah I'll see you in the next one and you know where to find me um, on Instagram at a god made man if you want to yeah pop over any questions you've got about anything you've heard anything else you want to say comments you want to make please do you know where to find me and I'll see you guys in the next one thanks for listening and remember we're always somebody's neighbour <laughs>